Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 59. Grazing is sitting down with weather. You're playing a game of cards with weather, okay? But weather always goes first. So weather throws down the card and weather says, beat that. So today here is 85 and sunny and it's dry. So what are you going to do today? And then replants. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hardich. On today's show, we have Alan Henney. He's a longtime grazer with tons of knowledge. He is currently a dairy grazing consultant out of Madison, Wisconsin. And I think you'll really enjoy it. For this week's 10 Seconds About My Farm, we're going to do something a little bit different. I really appreciate the reviews that our listeners have left on various platforms. Just the other day, I was on the Apple's podcasting app, and I don't normally use it. I use a Spotify for my podcast listening, and I wanted to check on the Grazing Grass podcast. I pulled it up, and the reviews, I want to thank you for your kind words, and I want to read one today from Drew B. Nemo. I would highly recommend this podcast for anyone who is interested in managing their pasture or looking to get into cattle or sheep grazing. Cal does a nice job of trying to get interviews from fellow grazers that are from all over the country and are diversified in their operations. Once you download it, you will definitely find some podcasts that will fit your niche in the grazing world. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate it. And if you haven't left a review wherever you listen to us, please go there and leave us a review. It helps us get the word out about the podcast and helps other people that's looking for something to find, hey, maybe I should listen to this. Thank you, Drew. And let's talk to Alan. Well, Alan, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited to have you on today. I appreciate the opportunity very much, Hal. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? I'm living in Madison, Wisconsin right at the moment, but uh, I've been here for quite a few years. But I grew up about 200 miles south of here, a little place called Tonica, Illinois. It's north central old farm town, about 700 people, just south of Interstate 80 on 51 there. And uh, when I was growing up, it's all corn, soybeans, and general livestock. Uh, my grandfather just retired. And my dad was, uh, he worked for Caterpillar Tractor Company, one of the big factories. I was just naturally a young guy growing up, mowing lawns, shoveling snow, delivering newspapers, whatever. And one day my best friend came over and said, Hey, how would you like to make some serious money on a dairy farm? And I was about 10, 11 years old. He said, they need some help bailing hay. I thought, oh, this should be a piece of cake, okay? So he said, we need to ride our bikes out there. So the next day, we went out to this farm about a mile away. And uh, the guy is kind of looking at his name's Art Lund. He said, what are you guys good for? He said, get up in the hay mile, got to unload all this hay. And they were, you know, conventional bales. Well, we couldn't even pick up one end of the bale, let alone move it. Okay, so we're up in the hay mile. We're sweating away, sweating away. Anyway, a few hours later, the dinner bell goes. Say, everybody runs off. I said, where's it a fire? And everybody's laughing. No, it's lunchtime. So we had going and have this big meal and everything. And go every in the afternoon, we load up all the hay and everything again. Anyway, I did this for a couple of summers, and then one day they asked me, "Would you like to milk some cows here?" This might be making hay. So I got in there milking the cows with with his wife, and I loved it. So from then on, when I was about 13, I spent every moment out there I could. 
I did it all through high school and uh, I was really interested and went to a junior college nearby for about a year. But my best friend went down to a Southern Illinois University down in Carbondale. He said, hey, Alan, come on down here. They have a big open house for the dairy research farms. They need some help. So I went down there and uh, looked around. They offered me a job. I said, well, look, I haven't even enrolled in school yet, okay? So anyway, it was quite impressive. So I applied and, and a few months later, I got accepted to Southern Illinois University of Carbondale. I said, well, I need a place to live. And the manager said, well, you can live in this barn right here. We'll just remodel the barn. You can live in this barn. And I said, well, how much? He said, for nothing. All you got to do is milk those cows and live in this barn and go to class. I did that for three years. I was on a national dairy judging team and I did their dairy science program, went to summer school and it was fabulous. Unbelievable. Anyway, uh, when I graduated, believe it or not, I got a Fulbright scholarship. I have no idea how I got it. Unbelievable. This is what changed my life. And my wife, we were just talking about today, 50 years ago to this day, I graduated from Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, and I was about to go on this Fulbright to New Zealand. And this is what changed my life. This is unbelievable what happened to me next. So anyway, when I got this Fulbright, I got this piece of paper, and my advisor said, you of all people, you got one for 18 months. I said, well, how much is this going to cost? He's laughing. He said, it's not going to cost you anything. It's all paid for. And you're going to get a check every month, you lucky dog. So you're supposed to go to New Zealand and go to school for a year. And then for six months, you can travel around the world as long as you're working on farms and looking at agriculture. And it's all taken care of. I said, well, when are they, they going to send the itinerary? He's laughing. He said, no, no, you have to make out the itinerary. I said, what? So anyway, I enrolled at uh, Mass University of Palmerston North, New Zealand. It's a top ag school in the world. Anything to do with forages, grazing livestock, kids from all over the world go there. And they got big research farms on grazing. It's fabulous. So I went to school there for a year and I was supposed to live in a dormitory. And I thought, no, this is going to be a bit boring. I'm going to try to find a farmer nearby that can live with a farm family and then go to school at the same time. So I checked with my advisor there in New Zealand and he said, look, Alan, he said, I know you're that kind. You can't work for money. Okay, because you're getting paid by the Fulbright people. And I thought, no, but I can work for heifer calves, right? So anyway, I found this farmer, John Hopkins, and I soon found out that he was a top farmer in the area. Anyway, he hired me and I lived with, with their family and they had 300 cows on grass. I milked the cows morning and night and went to school during the day and on the weekends and whatnot. But he gave me plenty to do. It was unbelievable. Oh my gosh. I learned so much. So at the end of the year, I graduated out of Mass. I took a, what they call the dairy diploma, dairy and agriculture, or diploma in agriculture, dairy option. You have dairy option, beef option, horticulture option, sheep option. I took the dairy option. And kids from Ireland, England, and New Zealand, they're all there. And we took management trips all around New Zealand, staying with farm families, uh, dairy cooperatives, business people. It was unbelievable. Wow. And I learned so much about export business and grazing and all that other stuff. So anyway, at the end of the year, I had to leave. But anyway, uh, Hopkins, he guaranteed me, if you want to come back to New Zealand at that time, uh, we'll guarantee you a job. I said, that sounds good. So anyway, uh, they have a thing called sure milk and helps young people get into farming. I thought, man, I don't know if I can get into sure milk or not. So I said, well, I'll give it a go. So anyway, for the next six months, I traveled around the world. I worked on farms through Australia, all through Southeast Asia and Japan. I went across Russia on a Trans-Siberian train in winter. Have you ever seen the movie Dr. Zhivago? It's just like that. Steam engines. Oh my gosh, snow. I lived it. Went through Europe for a few months, working on farms there, and I got back to America. Anyway, just before I left New Zealand, 
I met my future wife. So anyway, she wrote a letter to the embassy saying, I'm a very good student, very good citizen. They need people in New Zealand. And then Hopkins wrote a letter. And then I got a, I got a visa and I got back to New Zealand. And then I, I lived with the Hopkins family. And then he made me manager on his farm where he was share milking. So he was 50-50 share milking on a farm. And he had six other farms with 50-50 share milkers on those. So there's just tons to do all the time. And then he just bought another farm to graze all the young stock. And he put me in charge of developing that other farm. So he said, you don't have enough to do. You need to get down there and start developing that farm too, besides rubbing these other cows. I said, okay, great. About halfway through that year, uh, we got married, my wife and I, in New Zealand. She's from Wellington in New Zealand. She had never been a farm in her life. And we finished managing that one farm. And then uh, John said, I, I want to help you get into farming. And he said, how much money you got in the bank? And I said, well, I got $3,000 in the bank right now. And he said, fine. He said, I got 3000 bucks too. And he said, I bought a sheep and beef farm just down the road. He said, I want to form a 50-50 partnership, you and your wife, and we're going to put 3000 bucks in each. We're going to borrow to buy 200 in-calf heifers from his farm company to put on this sheep and beef farm. We're going to build a cow shed, put the fencing on it, water supply, and you're going to milk the cows, okay? You're going to be the managing partner. If you got any problems, just give me a call. If not, don't bug me, okay? Go do it. So anyway, we moved down there a year later, managed this farm and discussion group. And at the end of the year, we're topping our discussion of 15 farmers in our area. So I, I'm learning. So anyway, um, I said, John, I said, I want, actually want to go 50-50 share milking if I can. I said, I don't know if I got enough money or not. And I said, I got a half share in those heifers and we got some money in the bank now. And he said, well, you don't have an opening now. But he said, I'll give you two months to find somebody if you can go 50-50 share milking. So 50-50 share milking, this is how it operates. Say you're about ready to retire on your farm. I come to you as a young couple. And I buy your herd of cows on your farm and you provide a rent-free house on your farm, but I have to supply all the labor. And that's why usually a married couple, they don't hire anybody, okay? They do all the work themselves. They make the money. So then when the milk chip comes every month, half goes in your account, half goes in my account. I own all the livestock on the farm. And every month when we pay the bills, we have an agreement. We sign usually like a three-year contract. And every month we have an independent you know, arbitrator, like a, a dairy board consulting officer. So I might say, oh, next year I want to milk 20 more cows. And the farm owner says, oh, I don't know. Got enough feed. So then we, we talk about that. Okay. So we went, we started with 160 cows. We went to 180 and we went to 200. We milked those cows for three years with no labor. At the end of three years, we had all those cows paid for. That was up in the white kettle. Fabulous. We learned a lot. We actually started exporting heifers to Thailand. That was another deal. We don't worry about that right at the moment. Anyway, uh, we had a choice to either go bigger share milking or buy our first farm. We actually bought our first farm, 73 acres. It was an uneconomic unit back in the Manoa too. Our daughter, Eleanor, was, everything was happening then. Our daughter was born on that, on that day when we bought the farm. A year later, we doubled the production of that farm. We did up the house, the cow shed, drained it, fenced it, all that stuff. About three years later, we sold that and we got into a 50-50 partnership. We bought a sheep and beef farm in the South Island, New Zealand, near Christchurch in North Canterbury. At that time, nobody was dairy farming in the North, North Canterbury, and we developed the first dairy farm in North Canterbury. That was in 1983. We set up a 50-50 partnership with some engineers that had a tax problem. I was the managing partner. We started with 200 heifers, and at the end of three years, we had 500 cows milking a flood irrigation system. It was a cow shed, a couple of houses, whatever. I started a consultancy business, developing grass-based dairies in New Zealand and Australia. I started coming back to the States, doing consulting work and fencing 
grass, seed, water supply, dairy, semen, whatever. And then one day my wife said, let's move to America. So anyway, she'd been here a couple of times for visits. She really liked it. So we sold everything. That was in 88. So we came to America, trail around Greyhound bus for about six weeks. And uh, she picked Madison, Wisconsin. So we came here. We actually rented a house out in the country, milked a herd of cows for rent for the house. I started doing a lot of consulting work with the Amish and Mennonites. I started writing an article for their stock and grass farm with Alan Nation called Midwest Grazing for many years. I started speaking at conferences, field days. And after a few, we were homeschooling our daughter, learning about America. And then one day my wife said, we're never home. We need to buy some cows. So one day we're down in Missouri. We bought her cows. We rented a farm here near Madison, Wisconsin. That was in the mid nineties. And we started, we set up a uh, demonstration farm for rotational grazing. Gary Zimmer, Midwest Bioag, started with his micronutrients and whatnot. So we started using some of his consultants and field day. And then uh, one day my wife said, we need to add some value to our milk, our Jersey milk. We won some awards for our local cooperative for quality milk. We started making some cheese, or my cheesemaker did. My wife said, well, you need to get down to Chicago. Chicago's about 100 miles away. So we started selling it in stores and farmers markets down there. We won some awards. We started into grazing chicken. We needed more rooms. So we bought a farm and we started developing that. And for about 12 years, we we're never home. We we're marketing all the time in Chicago. So then we said enough. So we actually sold everything. We just concentrated on uh, developing farms in Canada, US and Mexico. We developed grass-based dairies and helped manage those and work with people that way. I started a construction business. Uh, we trim out home, new homes, cabinets, staircases, mantles, all that stuff into construction. We're building cow sheds where we can build houses too, so why not? So anyway, that's what we did. So right at the moment, uh, I still do a bit of construction work. I do uh, consulting. I don't travel nearly as much, but I work with some projects here and there. So anyway, that's my background. Which is an amazing background. I mean, just by the age of 20, you'd already been in New Zealand and all over the world seeing dairying. I grew up on a dairy. I read this Stockman Grass Farmer for years, we started rotational grazing, but didn't really, you know, we, we dipped our toes into it, but didn't get into it as deep as we needed to, to really go good with it. My dad and I had some different philosophies with that. So we end up selling the dairy, but I still dream of milking cows. My wife says I'm crazy. I love dairying. At some point, I think I may get a few because I'd like to try some cheese making, but off that topic. Do you still have the demonstration farm going? We gave up that lease. And then the other farm, we developed it into a beautiful grazing property. And then some people from Chicago, one day saw me at a market. And they said, we'd like to come to uh, Wisconsin and start a grass-based dairy. I said, here. And my wife standing there, she said, oh, we'll sell you one. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, they came and they bought it from us. So we sold it to them. And at that time, we leased another property, but there was just so much other stuff was going on. Actually, what I, looking back on it, what I should have done is I should have hired somebody just to manage, I actually off farm, like Joe Salton, he has like subcontractors take his produce and he stays on the farm. That's what we should have done, but we didn't. But our goal was to learn about the marketing and just about selling produce. And we learned so much. It was unbelievable. And I helped other people. So that, that was more than enough. But over the years, uh, it was interesting back in 08, 09, it's interesting how your old backgrounds come to help you out. I, I couldn't find any construction work. I couldn't even trim out a doghouse. I couldn't find any consulting work. Anyway, I called up this guy that does headhunting and agriculture here in Madison. I said, you got any jobs for a dairy manager? And he said, well, there's actually an organic dairy farm just north of Madison. 
uh, they're looking for somebody to develop their grazing infrastructure because at that time, organics, you had to start doing more grazing. You just couldn't put the cows out there. You had to get kind of serious about it, okay? You have to make a commitment, okay? Anyway, he said, but these people are interviewing people, so you have to go out there at night. So I went out there for an interview, and I thought, no, this is not going very well. A few days later, they called me back. Oh, you're on the short list. Oh, how nice. Oh, we want you to do, uh, develop this grazing infrastructure for us. Our general manager just retired. Would you like to be a general manager too? I said, what does a general manager do? Well, he's in charge of lots of cows and, you know, like a 400 cow dairy, 1,600 acres over 10 miles. It was a big operation. So I said, it sounds interesting. I said, I'm up for it. I said, if you pick me, I said, I'm sure I can help you out. So anyway, they picked me and they gave me a two and a half year contract and I developed their whole infrastructure. We got into exporting butter to Japan where Japanese people come over. And we actually, the second year, we got picked as far as the top dairy for or, or Organic Valley. Oh, yeah. a huge field day there. It was fantastic. Anyway, we learned a lot and helped a lot of people. And it's great. So are you doing grazing consulting now? Yeah. So if someone were to call you and say, hey, I've been exposed to this and I don't know what I'm doing. Where do you even get started with that? My wife and I, back in 1995, we put together a little booklet called The Power of Electric Fencing, a Control Grazing Guide. It's just a pamphlet. We didn't sell it. We just gave it away. We just printed it. Oh, yeah. Okay. But it was basic grazing management principles. It's, it's like a little Bible okay, that you can just carry around with you. And you can say, okay, you're interested in grazing. Start control grazing management right now by opening the gate in your mind and then opening the gate for your livestock. People invite me to their farms. They say, well, who should be there? And I said, anyone that's involved in your farm. I said, I don't care what they're thinking. I don't care how they vote. I don't care what their attitudes are. We'll just sit down at the table and we'll just go around and make some comments about whatever, whatever's on your mind. And quite often, they sat down and actually talked about the management of the business. Oh, yes. And quite often, hours later, we haven't talked about grazing yet. Oh, yeah. We're, we're talking about you, what you've been doing on the farm or haven't been doing on the farm or or so you said you're going to come back and look after these cows and you're never here. What are the stories? Okay. So then we started talking about some serious stuff. I said, if you really want to get into grazing management, just like me in New Zealand, I was asking Hopkins so many questions. The second day I was there, it's pouring down rain and I'm looking out the window and I thought, this is a complete waste of time. There aren't any buildings out here. There aren't any, no machinery, no tractors. And all I see is cows all over the place, all over, all over the place. And it's pouring down rain. They're standing out there. So I say to John, aren't you going to bring the cows into the barn? He's looking at me. He said, Fulbright Scholar, how'd you ever get one of those? Did, did, did you leave your brains in, back in America? And he said, we don't have a barn. So we forget that job. He said, actually, we're going outside to do a grass walk today. I said, oh, really? I said, I tell you what. I said, it's pouring rain outside. He said, oh, doesn't it rain in America? I said, yeah, it rains in America, but we go inside. We don't go outside. He said, but they don't have raincoats in America? He said, well, here's a raincoat, Yank. Put the raincoat on. We're going for a grass walk. I said, yeah, but the grass, it looks okay. And it's green. It's growing. Oh, no, we have to figure out. He said, every 10 days, we go for a grass walk around the whole farm. I said, what are we going to do? And he said, if you can keep up, come on. If you can't, I said, I hired you because you can walk and talk at the same time. So let's go. So we had a, um, a plastic map with a magic marker on it. Oh, yeah. Of the whole farm, just like this. Okay, had all subdivided, 300 acres, roughly about 10 acre, had about 30 10 acre paddocks. 
So we're starting to walk around the farm. And he said, uh, how much grass? He said, hey, Yank, hurry up. Come on. How much grass in this paddock? And I saw there's enough here. I thought, if I answer smart, I won't be right or wrong. Oh, yeah. And he said, no, no. He said, yeah, how much? How much? Would you put the cow? Okay, smarty. Would you put? And he keeps walking. He's over there. He's in the next paddock already. He's yelling at me. And in the rain. In New Zealand, the rain doesn't come and get out. It comes at you. So I'm kind of leaning into it. And he said, how about this next paddock? I ain't even worried about that. I said, look, he said, if you keep walking that way, we'll never get around the farm. You got to keep going this other way. So I said, what do you have to do? He said, well, can you count the 10? It's, it's a condition scoring, but you condition score the grass. So what you're going to do is you're going to assess the feed. So all you got to do, don't worry how much grass is there. Just put a score on it from one to 10. Just get, just pick a number. I don't, I didn't even realize, oh, this is easy. I'll put a five on it. Oh yeah. And he looked at me, he said, oh, you are a politician, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yeah, five. So we're in the next one. I thought, wow, there's a bit more grass here. I said, okay, six. He said, oh, you're getting the handle. Let's go. Let's go. The next one, the cow, they just grazed, the cows just grazed. There's hardly anything. I said, gosh, there's hardly anything. Two. But he said, oh, he said, uh, oh, how those heifers look? We walked right by these heifers. I didn't even look at the heifers. He said, you got anybody on heat? I don't know. Or anybody, how's the group doing? I don't know. So they have anything to drink? I don't know. <laughs> so I'm walking back. I'll find out. Like, Come on, let's go. So we, we keep walking. He said, oh, this pedicure, I'm thinking about reseeding it. Do you think I should reseed it? Oh, it looks okay to me. Oh, I don't know. Every time they milk, go in here, the milk goes down. I don't know what the story is. Anyway, go across. Goes, Look at this electric fencing. I, he said, I can't feel a shot. You grab the whole fence. They're going like this, you know? Oh. Oh, whoa. So a couple hours later, we have all this information. He's written down. So we get in the house and we're sitting down. He takes out his notebook from the years he's been there. And he said, here it is. We're putting it on the map now. We're going to write down how much feed is actually on the farm. Who cares? What well, we're interested in the total amount of feed in the different categories. So we're going to go speed up or slow down the rotation as we're moving the stock around like this. So my, that was my first introduction to grazing. He said, in 10 days time, you're going to do the grass walk by yourself because he said, I'm, I'm going to be out of town for a few days. So you got to do it. So when I come home, I want all that information right here. Got it? Besides doing all this other stuff. I said, I'll do it. No problem. So anyway, that was my first introduction. So you asked me originally, where do you start? With just a little information like this, write your questions down. I don't even have to come to your farm. We just talk over the phone or over the computer, just like we're doing right now. And then I'll know some people maybe in your area that you can go visit. Just go over there or go a few miles away. Because back in the good old days, there wasn't anyone really around too much. Then you kind of get comfortable and getting some more questions kind of focused. And take your wife with you or your girlfriend or your mom and dad or whatever, dear old dad, you want to educate him a little bit. So take them and then you come back. And then eventually I'll come out to your farm for a day. I'll send some information ahead of me, okay? Just say, read this, ask some questions, whatever. And then we'll go from there. And you can tell me a little bit about your operation and then we'll focus in on whatever. But what I try to do is I never tell people what to do. I just say, here's some information. You run with it, just like what Hopkins did with me. If you're really interested, go do it. And then he said, there's a farm down the road. You're in charge. Just go do something. Okay, and whatever you're going to do down there, it'll be a big improvement. So go to it. You know, something that you said there that really jumped out at me before we even, before you even talked about the grass walk, which we're going to come back to in a little bit, um, was, you know, sit down talking. A lot of times you spent hours talking before you even got to the the grazing portion of it, they were just talking about farm management and maybe those families didn't sit down and do it. And, you know, ranching for profit, they really talk about that time on the farm 
and time in the farm. Dad and I dairied for years and then sold out and just critiquing ourselves. That was a limitation we had. We did not do a good job of that. Now we run cattle and sheep together now, and we have a lot more conversations about that. That was definitely a limitation for our dairy years ago. And I really think one of the leading causes of us deciding to go ahead and sell it um, because it wasn't quite functioning to the level we needed it to function as. The same thing happened to me when I was in high school back in Illinois. I was working for that farm family, Art and Louise Lund. They had two grown sons and a daughter. They just hated dairy farming, but they were on other farms. They had five farms in the area that they were all leasing. So they were kind of pulled into it just for physical work. Oh, yes. But they did. They want to be. And when I turned up, say, Alan, thank you. You'll, be, you'll milk for me for this weekend, won't you? You'll, <laughs> yeah. just, you'll, you'll, you'll do it, okay? Thank you very much. You'll mow the lawn. Oh, you, oh that, those beans over there, they need to be cultivated next week. Would you just please go cultivate those beans for us, okay? Just go do that. So I was kind of a go-between like this. And then in the end, they actually wanted to sell the cows to me to continue. But I thought at that time... I wanted to get out and I'd traveled quite a bit uh, with my family. My mom's from Cardiff, Wales and uh, around the States to with her family. And I want to do a bit more traveling, just wanted to see a bit more life, experience it. Oh, yes. And so I started turning down. So as soon as I said that, they sold the cows and they retired. But Art and Louise, when I got married in New Zealand, they had never been outside the United States. They came over with my mom to our wedding and he worked for me. They stayed with us for two weeks. I said, Art. I'm going to be the slave driver now, just like you. And you're going to, get to, we're making hay right now because it's summertime and you got to get out there tomorrow and rake those paddocks right over there. Oh yeah. So uh, the next day he was out raking. And so I drove by and he's out there sitting on the tractor. He's not doing anything, just sitting and looking around. So I thought, gosh, you know, I hope everything's okay. So I walk over and say, Hey Art, everything okay? He's just looking around at the mountains and all that. He said, I can't believe he's I'm in New Zealand making hay and the scenery is beautiful. I said, look, Art, forget that. Do that on your own time. <laughs> yeah. You need to get the tail rate. Now, let's get going. He laughed like crazy. Anyway, they came. It was unbelievable. My wife is from Hawaii. We met here in Oklahoma, and she'd gone back to Hawaii to see her family, and I was going over a couple weeks later. I said, take some pictures for me. I grew up on a dairy. I didn't travel very far. Sometimes we'd go to Kansas or Missouri or Arkansas, but we stayed in Oklahoma pretty close. I know what mountains look like. I've been to Colorado, but I want to see it. And she'd tell me, we'd talked every day on the phone. She'd be like, we didn't really go anywhere. There wasn't really any scenery to take a picture of. And I said, okay. Mm -hmm. So I'd ask her next day, should you take some pictures? Send me a pictures of what you've seen. We just went to the mall and then we came home. We really didn't do anything. Not really much to see. And this continued on for a couple of weeks. And then I flew over. First time in Hawaii, her dad picks me up at the airport and we drive to her parents' house. Standing on the driveway of her parents' house, if I looked to the east, I saw the ocean. I looked to the west, I saw a mountain. If I looked across the street, there was a palm tree that doesn't grow in Oklahoma. You could have took a picture of anything. It was amazing. Yeah, we take it for granted. Same way in New Zealand, I just, I couldn't get over the scene. When I stepped off that plane, I saw all that grass. I, whoa, this is heaven on earth. And when I sent photos to my folks the first time, my dad said, it can't be that green. Surely not. Oh, yes. So, but they came over uh, once we got married. 
we moved every few years because we were sure milking, leasing farms, developing farms, but they came over every few years. There's a, a dairy or two on YouTube from New Zealand that I watch because I'm just fascinated by it. Andrew, once a day farmer. His farm is not too far from where he sheer milk. He's, 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 um, their farm is at Cambridge and it's like on the western side of Waikato. Waikato is the main dairy area in New Zealand. Oh, okay. okay? It's the center of the North Island. But Cambridge is there, and we sure milk a little by near Matamata Tipoi. It's on the eastern side. It's in the same general area. But we did we were sure milking there for three years. But the same type with the hedges, oh yeah, generally ruling grass. It's the same thing. Did that for three years. Oh yes, I I love yeah. seeing that and that dairy parlor with open dairy parlor. It's just yeah, swing over. It's yeah. just fascinating to me, yeah. and which I find the the high line so interesting. My grandpa had a double four herringbone swing. And high line, and then, you know, all the dairies put in, or it seemed like to me, low line. We put in our dairy, double four, uh, low line. Of course, then we've got eight milkers versus the four, just more stuff. But then when we started hearing about New Zealand style, it's all still a high line swinger, swinging. How are you getting the infrastructure set up and what kind of infrastructure do you recommend? Because I know, I know when I look at my neighbor's farm and they're grazing, and when I think about this podcast, those are the perfect candidates to listen, to start thinking about those next steps. Tell us a little bit more about that process. When I was going to school there in New Zealand and associating with the, the sheep and beef people, the biggest bang for the buck with grazing is dairy. Yes. I always say that my grandmother, she can graze sheep and beef, but my grandmother, she'll have a tough time with dairy cows. Because if you don't do it right, You'll see what the reaction is with the old cow, because you've seen her twice a day at least, if not more, but also you see it in the milk vat real fast. How I attack it is, if I come up on a, um, a typical dairy farmer in America, it doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't matter how many cows it is and whatever, and I meet with them and I said, okay, having asked me or even talked to me or even called me up, there must be something in the back of your mind that say, oh, there, there could be a different way to do things. Or we read the Stockman Grass Farmer. Or I was in the barber shop and I saw this magazine on grazing. What? And as in my, my forage class at SIU, when it came the grazing chapter, my, my professor said, oh, nobody does grazing. This is in 73. We'll just skip that chapter. And two years later, I'm grazing big time in New Zealand. And I'm like, whoa, we're going to skip all the other stuff about supplementary feeding and machinery and housing and all the other stuff. Okay. So anyway... Say the conventional dairy farmer, he's been thinking about stuff or whatever. Or maybe the son said, dad, I'll come back to the farm, but we've got to change things. Just like you were saying to, with your dad, okay? You start thinking about it and say, well, there's lots of different things you can think about with grazing. And I said, first of all, I don't recommend you do anything different. When I was back in high school, say I'm 16 years old, the people I'm working for, they're total confinement. But we leased two farms. And in the summertime, one of my jobs was to go down to these two farms to check the heifers. And guess what? The heifers were out grazing down by the, the creeks. We couldn't plant corn or soybeans there or make hay. But they said, oh, there's just weeds there. But we put the heifers in there. But we put feed out. They didn't eat so much feed. They're out there grazing all the time. But one thing I noticed about those heifers when I'm 16 years old, I look at those heifers. And then I look at somebody else's heifers, like the neighbors or go someplace else. I go, wow, our heifers are not as big, but they're healthier. Uh, the calf is beautiful. So that stuck with me. So 
fast forward about six or seven years later, I'm looking at real, I'm thinking, wow, these cows are not as big, but boy, are they healthy. What about those dry cows? Oh yeah. And then you say, oh yeah, the, the, the dairy, they always bite on this. So I, it's like fishing. You throw something out and you say, oh, I think I'm going to get. So I said, what about those dry cows? Oh yeah, that's our biggest cost. You know, they don't produce anything, but we need them. But right now we got to feed them all this expensive feed. It doesn't matter what year it is, when it is, it's always expensive feed. So I said, well, I said, uh, the grazing cow, I, uh, she does that if you let her. He said, well, we got this paddock here. So when they're sitting there, they're grazing. I go, wham, 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 wham. They're grazing like crazy. And now that we're having an argument, and everybody's like this, and like this, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, they're actually grazing. Anyway, usually in the back of my truck or something, I have a, a portable little fence, and I just kind of stick it around the thing. On, so what, you know, it's done. It doesn't have to be any power or anything. Just stick it there. It's done. Good enough for time being. And I said, another of my hot grazing tips in here is let your stock learn at the same time you do or at the same rate. If your stock learn ahead of you, you're constantly catching up and you'll never, you'll never be on the same page. And if you say, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I've just been in this grazing conference. I'm going to set this up and everything. But if you don't train your livestock in a certain way, they're not going to cooperate. They're going to think, I'm not going to have any part of this. Okay. So they have to go hand in hand with this. And that first time milking all those cows in the museum, those cows, they just wanted to get in there and get through. And I'm thinking, why do these cows want in there? So I'm looking down the raceway. I'm thinking, well, where are these cows going? I was, I was so worried about milking the cows. So I get up there and look, they're way down the right. They're into another pet. They're grazing on all these other cows. They got their radar up. They don't want to be here. They want to be down there. So they're just filing through. We don't even have to use a backing gate. We don't have anything. I don't, whoa. I, I thought I knew about stockmanship. I had no idea. I wouldn't have a clue. I got nine, nine points, what I call uh, grass goals, okay? Just before you get thinking about spending any money, it's just a thought process is walk the grazing area every 10 days through every paddock. Okay, it doesn't cost anything. Practice in New Zealand, dairy farmers have three types of cost, no cost, low cost, and then some cost, but they have a very hard time of spending money. Observation always. Take time to communicate. We just said a little bit about that. You and your dad or family members or whatever. It's so important. The second thing after grass walk in New Zealand, what powers the New Zealand dairy industry is the discussion group. Every area has a dairy board concerning officer. Well, indirectly, you pay through your fees, but they chair a discussion group. There's like 10 or 15 farms in your area meet once a month. Say tomorrow it's going to be on your farm. Then next month, it's going to be on my farm. We go to the discussion group. It's powerful. You learn something. And next month, it's going to be here. And you're going to tell them what we're doing here on the farm. You better start learning. Oh my gosh, I better learn something. The last thing is plan, plan, and replay. Like, okay, like say today, like say I'm meeting with you and your dad. We're setting up a plan about the grazing, whatever it is. Then next week, things change. But how can you just say, as we see it today, at the end of our grass walk, and we go through the information, he said, that's it, as we see it today. But you know, grazing is sitting down with weather. You're playing a game of cards with weather, okay? But weather always goes first, okay? So weather throws down the card, and weather says, beat that. So today here is 85 and sunny, and it's dry. So what are you going to do today? And then replants. So those are my main grazing goals. They cost nothing. When you've been working with these dairies and you get them started, what are some challenges they face 
back in 09 when I got this uh, job as a general manager on this organic dairy farm. But a few weeks before that, during one of my, I went for three interviews. And one night they said, oh, Alan, would you like, since you're on the short list, would you like to come? And this is in February, this is in the wintertime. Would you like to come out into the freestall barn and look at our cows? Sure, well, let's go out there, okay? We open up the door, the stench, and it's like ammonia. And it's like tears just come down my eyes, oh, okay? yes. You can hardly breathe. And you walk in and you, there's hundreds and hundreds of cows in this freestall barn. I'm right too close to a cow. I put my hand on her and she's cold. Not very many cows are chewing their cud. There's still loads of feed in the feed alley. Yes. But very few cows are chewing their cud. There are a lot of cows that have a hard time walking. They got feed problems. The manure is coming out like a water pistol. The stench is unbelievable. Yeah. And I'm looking at the feed. The feed's cold. Anyway, a few weeks later, I'm standing in the exact same spot and I'm in charge because I'm the general manager now. I've been hired for two and a half years. So it's still the same situation. Same way I thought, right. On the first day I was there, the next day, it's about seven o'clock in the morning and people are just running around in tractors and whatnot. So anyway, what I'm looking for is some dry matter to get into those cows to slow everything down. He's got these humongous big bales. I have, wow. So I cut one open, a big bale, and it flops down and it's beautiful green grass. And I thought, wow, look, look at these big wide leaves. And it's reed canary grass. This guy walks past me in the snow. He said, oh, you looking for bedding? And I said, oh, you use this for bedding? And I'm thinking, this is a perfect feed for those dairy cows. So I just carried one over and I went over and no one was around. And the cows had just been fed their feed, but very few are eating. So I just toss a bunch of that reed canary grass. It's like flies on manure in the summertime. Those cows just went over there and then inhaled that reed canary grass. Boom. Within about two minutes, it was gone. They're inhaling this. Before I left that night, I made sure everybody went. I loaded a big feed-out wagon. I went in there and I fed both sides of reed canary grass. I just stacked that thing up high, big, down either side. And those cows were just boom, boom, boom like this. So anyway, when I got home about, I don't know, nine or 10 o'clock that night, my wife said, have you been fired yet? I said, not yet. And she said, what have you been up to? I said, well, I've, I fed this reed canary grass. And I said, I'm doing a research project. And it said, tomorrow morning at 3.30, 4 o'clock, I'm going to be up there. Anyway, the next morning I got there just before 4 o'clock. I open up the big overhead door, goes boom, 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 like this. It's like foggy old England. It's like a big fog. Those cows, the heat that was coming off those cows, the condensation, you couldn't even see the cows in there. The body, they were chewing the cow. All that reed canary grass was gone. Anyway, we're in there and I'm having a discussion with some people. And all of a sudden I heard these screams. I said, oh my gosh, you know, is there a fire? Did somebody get injured? So I come running out and I look at the big bulk tank. It's like Niagara Falls, the milk is flowing over the side of the bulk tank. And it's going right over there and it's going down the drain. And all these people are screaming and yelling. They're lost when they're pointing to the milk. And I said, well, shouldn't we call the tanker dryer? I said, I know he comes every other day, but shouldn't he come now? They utilize the feed butter and we haven't even started grazing yet. After that, that became part of a ration. So I looked on animal health. I asked the secretary, I said, Tomorrow, could you do a breakdown of all our costs on the farm? But we'll start with animal health. She said, we spend most of our money on hoof trimming. We spend over $300 a cow. And I'm thinking to myself, in New Zealand, if you spend over 10 or $15 per cow, American dollars, you need to find another line of work. These people are spending over hundreds of dollars. So the hoof trimmer came the next day and I said, what, what are the, some of the problems? You know, the main problem is hairy wart. It's stress on concrete. What happens is, you watch a calf when it's born, 
how it walks. It walks up like a, a proud horse, boom, 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 like this. But after a cow's been on concrete, even just a year, her legs start to go back and they get damaged. The feet right there get damaged. And then infection starts in and hairy warts starts in. We rounded up all our dry cows and heifers out of all the different facilities all over the place. And I, I put them down to an area called Jerry's Paradise. It's a big forest area and everything. We put them out there. After about a month and a half, and then coming in the spring, we brought those stock up as they started calving and whatnot, and the hoof trimmer came up. And the first time the hoof trimmer, the first like over 15 or 20, I'm standing there, and the guy said, oh, we got a problem. And I said, what problem is that? He said, they don't have any hairy wart, these, these heifers. I said, oh, is that a problem? And he said, yeah, it is a problem. He said, I can't do anything for them. Within less than a year, we chopped our animal health bill in half. We started uh, grazing our calves in pens. My guy that did the calf ring had a big building and we went over there the first day in February. So we walked over and there's a pile of dead calves right there. And he walked right past the dead calves. So we walked in and it's stench. And I said, oh, I said, you know, you got the scour. Oh yeah, I got scour, I got all that. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll bring you something tomorrow called kefir. And over the next few days, those calves just snapped right out of it. I said, we're gonna start wearing the bull calves for the farm. I started wearing the bulls in there on a uh, multi-feeding buckets from New Zealand. You can feed five or six or seven calves at a time, all that stuff. Multi-cafeteria style feeding. Anyway, then as spring started coming, I went next door on this property. And as I call it, Jer I named it Jerry's Paradise. It's a beautiful uh, grass area protected by trees. I got your hog panels, metal hog panels. I got two or three and made a circle. I put the calves in there and I moved them twice a day across grass. And I put, hung the buckets on there and had water there and moved them across. After a few weeks, um, so that's just the power of grazing, the introduction, the organics and whatever. And just, you can just do it different ways to introduce to your system uh, for animal health and whatnot. I just tell you one more powerful story about introduction. I came here in 88, is the year of the drought for the Midwest. You might remember it. July of 88, we sold everything in New Zealand, flying to America. And my wife decided that we're gonna live here in Madison, Wisconsin. So we're out in the country. It's a drought. It's hot, 100 degrees every day, no rain, everything's brown. And she said, oh dear, there's a hay hotline up at the Capitol building here in Madison. Why don't you go up and tell them that you're going to help out with grazing? And I said, oh yeah. I said, you know, my wife's never wrong, right? I'll go up and, and uh, introduce myself. Hey. So I go up there. There's a big long line of farmers waiting for irrigated hay from Nebraska, all the Western states. They're shipping in irrigated hay big time and the farmers are saying well, as i'm standing in line saying oh this or this irrigated hay is really expensive but boy I, I need it to feed my cows okay everything's drying up and everything so after about a half hour it's my turn and uh the person in charge says uh are you buying or selling i said uh, actually i'm selling oh how much hay or forage you have to sell i said well it's thousands of acres and so well, what do you have i said well it's actually reed canary grass and other swamp grasses what? Is this some kind of joke? I said, no, no. And I said, I've never seen so much green in all my life, but it's on the other side of the fences. It's reconnecting. And my first consoling job was down in Northern Illinois. And this beef farmer, he had hundreds of beef cattle and about half his farm was swamp grass and reconnecting grass. But on his grazing area, it's all brown. He was feeding hay from Nebraska. So I went over and I said, is this your farm too? He said, oh yeah. I said, watch this. Opened the gate, those, those beef cattle ran right in. They started grazing like crazy. He said, oh my gosh. He said, I didn't think they would eat that stuff. I said, there you go. 
how much is that going to cost you? He said, well, that, that takes too much time to do all that grazing and setting or anything like that. Certainly, when I was there, I met this extension agent from Lafayette County in Southwest Wisconsin, John Cockrell. And he said, oh, you, you grazing? You know anything about grazing? I saw just a little bit. I just came to the country. He said, well, there's this tough-headed German out in Southwest Wisconsin. He's starting to graze. And he said, why don't you go out and see him? And uh, he said, I don't think he's doing much grazing now, but he said, don't you know there's a drought on? I said, well, I'll go out and see him. And he, I said, well, how do I find him? He would just drive out there. And after you drive off the main road, go across the hill. And he, once you see all that, he said, got the fences up. But he said, all that land that you see out there, that's all his. So anyway, like a few days later, I drive out there. And sure enough, I look at him. And way in the distance, I see these two guys walk across the paddock. So I get up closer. And all of a sudden, you hear this tough-headed farmer, the tough-headed German guy, swearing at this young kid. And this young kid's trying to sell him a tractor. And he said, don't you know there's a drought on? Get lost. Anyway, I follow him around. Anyway, all of a sudden, he turns around to me. He said, what do you want? And I said, oh, I just want to talk about grazing. He said, well, don't you know there's a drought on? This pad that we're standing in, there's grass like this, but it's brown. But there's a lot of leaf and there's clover at the bottom, like this. But as far as I can see, there's grass, but it's brown. This is in July of 1988. This is the power of observation. So I said to this uh, tough-headed German, that's what you're trying to do. He said, well, I'm trying to graze my cows, but uh, there isn't anything out here. And I said, well, I said, just look over here. And they had these monoslopes with all their dried cows and heifers in, and they're feeding them silages over here. And I said, well, how about if we just bring some heifers out here into this paddock? He had all the subdivision all over the place. He said, oh, you must not have been around here. I said, I just came into the country a few weeks ago. He said, yeah, but back in the spring of 88, this place is out of controls. He said, we kept making feed and silage and everything. We just couldn't keep up with it. We cutting everything. I said, yeah, but now it's all grown back. And it's all the same. He said, yeah, we just can't. But he said, we just gave up on it. And we just shut the gates because there isn't anything out there. It's all brown. I said, oh, are you uh, colorblind? I said, I tell you what. I said, could you just open that gate? He doesn't know who I am. I said, could you just open that gate? I'm going to go up there. And that first group of heifers, or I don't care how many, there are 50, 60, 800. Who cares? How I'm going to open the gate. Oh, Sarah. He said, don't worry about it. He said, you're wasting your time. I said, no. Anyway, they let the heifers out. They walk down the raceway. They walk in this paddock here. They start, they stand right there. They're grazing like crazy. And they just been fed. They're grazing. It was head head of German says, um, he said, but then I got grazed very long. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, uh, I'm a bit of a hurry right now. I just came by, just look around. I said, John Cockrell told me to stop by. And, hey, you're trying to do some grazing. I said, if you want to do it, okay. And if you don't, I don't care. But uh, he said, well, what should I be doing? I said, see all the dry stock get up there and everything like that? I said, just let them all out. And I said, just for your sake, I said, is this all yours? As far as I can see, he said, that's all mine. I said, I hope it doesn't rain for at least two or three months. When it does rain again, this is really going to grow. But right now, it's not going to regrow very well because it's all been mature. But if you can just nip off, you don't have to graze it down. Just, just eat something. And then tomorrow, move them to another area. Who cares? It, it doesn't have to be uh, a rotation. Just do some grazing. I forgot about them. And early September comes and it starts raining. It calls me up. He said, hey, what should I do now? I said, start feeding your supplementary feed because I'm going to go slub side. That, that dry matter is going to go to mush for a few weeks. You feed the dry matter. And then start your rotation grant. And he couldn't believe it. Early October is like a mini spring. He said, oh, I can bring my milk. I said, no, no. Set up for the autumn now for winter, you know, stockpile feeding. Get onto a longer rotation. And this is Mother's Nature. She's going to compensate you for summer. Going to set you up for next year. And you want to leave that behind. You don't want that to follow you around. And away you go. That's Charlie O. Pitts. At that time, they're milking 3,000 cows on about 4,000 acres. 
largest. Since he sold that to his son, he went down to Louisiana and developed another big grass dairy. Anyway, that's, that's how they got into grazing seriously. Alan, we need to move on to the overgrazing section, and we are going to talk about pasture walks. So you talked just a little bit of, ago about it. Mr. Hopkins had you out there going. Tell us mm-hmm. a, in the power observation with that, but tell us, what is a pasture walk, and what mm-hmm. are you doing with one? Basically, looking at your feed inventory. So in other words, the feed that's on your farm. I don't care if it's the hay over there, silage stacks, uh, some green in a grain elevator someplace, the grass is out in your paddock, whatever. You're doing an assessment every so often. But what you have to do is be consistent because once you have consistent points, you can draw a line to see if you're improving or going down, whatever. You have to do it consistently. So you can do it once a week. How can you just do it every 10 days, three times a month, but at least once a week? But also your thought process on your overall management of your farm and your business. And what you, I highly recommend you bring your wife, you bring your girlfriend, you bring your dad. Just like I went that first walk with Hopkins. You learn so much and you start talking about everything. You get away from the phone or don't take it home with you. And you, you learn so much. And what you do is you actually have a Xerox copy of your ma- of your farm. It doesn't have to be to scale. Just draw one on thing. Just draw it. It doesn't have to be haphazard. Fine tune it later on. But the important thing is you have a map to show you where you're going to go. What you want to do is you write down the date and the weather condition. This year, historical weather, because our memories are short. Oh, yeah. So you write down the date and exactly what's happening. You write down how many cows you have or heifers or what's happening on the farm, some major events on your farm. And then you go out. Don't worry about how many pounds of dry mat, whatever the story is. Just do the basic score. But I just give you a heads up. Each score is about 400 pounds of dry matter, roughly. So as I walk into my first paddock, I'll put a score on that. But also, I'm, put, I'm, I'm making a comment. Say, Ooh, it looks like my clover. I don't see many legume plants in here. What's going on? Better put a question mark there. Oh, the water trough. Look at that. That water trough's leaking. <laughs> Got to fix that. Then we come in and we say, this paddock, it looks a bit rough. There's clumps of grass here, there. What's going on? So right away, you're starting to get a feel of what I should do or shouldn't do. So then at the end of your walk, you sit down, you assess out, and then you work out how many acres of each score that you have on the farm, okay? So many, so many one, so many two, so many three, so many four, so many acres. So roughly you got to know, but you got to know how many acres are in your paddock. So anyway, you do that assessment, and then you, you establish your, your graph, okay? The, the first line, you're kind of guessing, but then when the second line comes in, you know if you're making progress, you're saying, oh my gosh, the amount of feed, oh, I need to slow down, speed up, I need more, whatever the story might be. And then you can work out your rotation. There's a guide in my little booklet, uh, how many days rotation, like right now in the Midwest, you need to be on uh, over a 30 day, 40, 30 to 40 day rotation. Doesn't matter how many acres you have, doesn't matter how many stock you have, 30 to 40 days. That's the power of the grass wall. Now, you keep referring to your guide there. Is your guide available? How does our listeners get it? People want it. I can uh, Xerox it off and send it to you. This has got a, a, a picture on back. That was our farm in New Zealand, our last farm. Oh, yes. Our cows and everything like that. Thank you, Alan. Alan has sent us his booklet, and it is available at the Grazing Grass Community. Just go over there, log in, and you can view it there or download it. Thank you again, Alan. And moving to our famous four, same four questions we ask of all of our guests. We're doing it a little bit different today. We're going to ask a couple of them. Alan, can you tell us about some books that's been influential for you? 
the first Jewish on dairy grass to milk by McMicken. And he was a researcher at Rooker Research Number Two in Waikato, New Zealand, and wrote this book, Grass to Milk. This is the Bible of grazing in New Zealand. But everybody knows about this Andre Vossen, Grass Productivity. He's a Frenchman, but he also, Vossen, wrote this book. Soul, Grass, and Cancer. Yeah, it's powerful about just our general health, and especially now, what's happening in America about our health and everything. This book was written back in uh, 1952. Believe it or not, he was at uh, Oklahoma. You're at Neck of the Woods. Oh, yeah, it is. Grasses and grassland farming. It's powerful. It's got a lot of good information on it. Basic information about species and and what just the thought process and everything like this. And then also, here's another one. um, uh, Growing pastures in the south. Combs. C-O-M-B-S. Combs. Yeah, I'm available. um, I just charge uh, $65 an hour or... A uh, dollar a minute, just over the phone or video, whatever you want to do. Oh, yeah. doesn't matter. So if someone's interested in, in that, how do they contact you? Best way is just give me a phone call. Phone number is 608-575-4172. It's here in Madison, Wisconsin. Just call me anytime. I carry it with me and call me anytime. I'm, I'm used to being interrupted at all hours. And then my uh, email address is Alan Henning. It's all one word, A-L-A-N-H-E-N-N-I-N-G at att.net. I look at my emails on my computer every night. I don't look at them during the day, though. Well, very good, Alan. Really enjoyed the conversation today. Thanks for coming on and sharing with us. Thanks for making the opportunity, buddy. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. If you've enjoyed today's episode, and want to keep the conversation going, visit our community at community.grazinggrass.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Grazing Grass podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for past and future episodes. We also welcome guests to share about their own grass farming journey. So if you're interested, fill out the form on grazinggrass.com under the Be Our Guest link. Until next time, Keep on grazing grass. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form, and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.